whenever I tried to talk to my friends about it, it would be really tough because no one really wants to talk about money and it's so personal. And I would try to educate my friends about it. I even told my friend, I'm like, okay, make sure you ask the financial rep at the bank about fees. And she's like, okay, well, I asked him all the questions. He said that there's no fees. And I'm like, no, but there are fees. And she's like, and we got into this argument. And it's really disheartening when people earnestly believe that they're not being charged fees and the banks just don't make it all that transparent. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is the Personal Finance Show. Sandy Young wants everyone to learn about personal finance so that their future self can thank them for it. Sandy figured out early on that if you give your money to the big banks and don't know what you want to invest in, they will choose the ones with the highest fees. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you went to a car dealership and said, here's some money, I want a car, and didn't give them any parameters like fuel efficiency or speed or size or whatever, they would sell you the car that makes them the most money. In fact, if they didn't do that, I would question if they're in the right business. Sandy figured out that if she learned the basics of personal finance, she could invest her own money, have more control over her risk, and save a ton on fees. She learned so much about personal finance that when the opportunity came up to publish a book, personal finance was the clear subject. Sandy's book, The Money Master, will be published in the summer of 2019. It's always great to have another voice in the personal finance community to help increase financial literacy and democratize personal finance. Financial wellness is nearly impossible to achieve if you're having mental health issues. Recognizing this, Sandy has decided to donate $2 from every sale of her book to CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. If you've heard my story of addiction and recovery, you know that this has a special meaning for me. So thank you, Sandy, for making this commitment. Sandy joined me in the studio in Hamilton to tell her personal finance story. My earliest childhood memory with money is when I would go to the local corner store. I think it was called Becker's. Sure, yeah, Becker's, then. yeah. And they still I, have those, I think. Probably. Every, well, maybe not. Maybe they all switched over to like uh, Circle K or Max yeah. Milk or something like that. But yeah, so you had early Beckers. Yes. And I may have been maybe four years old at the time. Oh, you remember four. <laughs> wow. Okay. So four years old. And uh, I would walk down the street with my father and we would go into the store and he would give me uh, some change and I would be able to pick out my my own uh, candy bar. And you, and you remember that you needed the money. Mm-hmm. to get the candy bar and, and we're like how much money do you know um maybe a dollar just a dollar and you go and you're like he would hand me the money and we would go up to the cashier and i would physically hand the money to to the cashier and so that's where i was able to kind of formulate the fact that you need to have currency in order to buy the things you want that's excellent that's an excellent lesson i think that's one of the earliest things that we should start with our kids like because you can't 
really teach them money so early uh like you know concepts and stuff but mm-hmm. you can let them go and pay for something so i, I think that was pretty bright uh, of your dad to do that i don't know if he was trying to to teach you do you know or he was just trying to let you have the experience um i think he was just trying to teach me yeah it's yeah. simple well simple. how was he with uh, with money do you have any memory of how uh, how your parents were with money there were good and bad things uh, growing up and, and learning about money. Uh, my dad was very good at bookkeeping. Okay. And so he would do the old school method where he would keep track on a yearly basis all of our household expenses. Nice. Uh, and on paper. Uh, on paper. <laughs> Manually. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Growing up uh, in a family of four, uh, my dad was the sole provider for our family. Okay. And uh, my mother was a stay-at-home mom, um, mostly in part because she uh, was living with mental health illnesses. Okay. And so um, my father worked as a chef in various Chinese seafood restaurants. Wow. Wow. So that's busy, busy work. And uh, do you want to talk about your, your mother's mental health illnesses at all, or do you want to move on from that? Uh, maybe we can cover it a little bit later. Okay, we'll we'll talk about yeah. that later. Okay, yeah. so because I'm really big on on mental health mm-hmm. advocacy, and I know you are as well. So would would you see your dad ever? Like he was working as a chef. I remember, yeah, being young, like I was a daddy's girl, so I okay. was very attached to yeah. him. And I would, I believe, at times he would juggle between two full time. Uh, jobs wow. right working wow. day at a uh, restaurant and then and having night shifts as well and I, I didn't want him to leave the house and I'd be like no like <laughs> stay yeah. home like play with me and I would cry and he'd be like no I have to go and work and, <laughs> and as a four-year-old child you don't really understand what's happening no but not yet <laughs> but uh growing up I could see that he was able to put food on the table and uh, make sure that everything was covered in the in the household. It's a lot of sacrifice, right? Because you know you're the provider, and to work two jobs and to not you make the choice you can't see your kids as much, right? Mm-hmm. And especially when they don't understand when you're so young, mm-hmm. oh, it's got to be heartbreaking for him to go to work every yeah. every day at that at that point. And so this experience where you went to the store together, like whenever he had a day off, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. During his time Few off. and far between, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. right? So you learned, uh, well, from him indirectly and probably later on, you know, that you have to work hard for money. It doesn't just appear out of nowhere. Right. Do you remember when you first like started earning money yourself? Did you have an early job? Okay. So the legal age to start working, at least in Ontario, I believe is 16 sure. years old. <laughs> But my parents got me started when I was 14. Of course, back then, it would just be cash jobs. I mean, they didn't really last very long. It was just a couple of months here and there. But where, like, what would you do? So my first one was working in a gift basket store. Okay. (laughs) And they taught me how to put together gift baskets. And this was leading up to the Christmas season. Yeah. So I did that for a little bit. Wait, how are you getting into the gift basket uh, market? Like, who, who's the connection? Through family there? connections. So they th- knew, like, They have the store somebody owners. who works there, the owner, and they're like, okay, you, you give, you know, my daughter some, some work. She yes. can work hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'll make the baskets. Okay, so you're bringing in some cash. Yeah. And what are you doing with that cash? Well, I think as like a teenager, most likely it's either clothing, mm. entertainment. Back then they had CDs, so I would buy cds from columbia house and Yo, then those mail wow, order seriously. subscriptions <laughs> <laughs> uh, that you had to buy them <laughs> otherwise you would have to pay money i forget the deal there right you get free ones and then you have this obligation yeah, to buy the buy rest of them four get I, one free yeah. something like that <laughs> 
So it wasn't like you were working. Uh, your dad was able to take care of the family uh, by working uh, the double job sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you didn't like they, they didn't put any burden on you to be like, you need to contribute. This was just for you. As a teenager, yeah. uh, not so much. Like all the money that I did earn uh, throughout high school and university yeah. was for um, my own spending. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, was there any talk of saving for the future, for going to school or anything like that? For university, I did have to uh, pay my way yeah. through university. Uh, but I think at 18, we went to the bank together and we set up the RSP. Although back then, we didn't know anything else except for mutual funds. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, so they set it up when you were done high school then, or about mm-hmm. to go to university. Okay, mm-hmm. so they wanted you to, this is kind of like, you're a grown up now? Yeah. That kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. So for school then, there was no real saving for school. So you knew you were going to uh, have to take loans out or... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that was just the plan. Maybe uh, OSAP uh, government loans? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had OSAP. So that's yes. what that's what you end up doing. So was it fully OSAP loans or did you have bank loans as well? Uh, fully OSAP loans. Okay. I didn't have any bank loans. Uh, but what I did was that in, in school, in university, I did have several part-time jobs okay and uh i because i was so dedicated towards my education i was top of my class and i applied for the student scholarships that were available in my program because uh, a lot of students they may not necessarily take advantage of that or they don't even take this first step to apply but i did apply and i was able to win scholarships uh each year so i like when this comes up because there's so many scholarships out there and were were these just internal within your school most of them were internal within my department, yeah, my program. Yeah, in your program. Uh, but then even through OSAP, there were, I think there was the Queen Elizabeth Scholarship. If you meet a certain GPA, they yeah. will also provide you with with some funding. And this is while you're in school. But mm-hmm. you, did you think about it before you went to school? Entr- entrance scholarships or anything like that? Did that come to mind? I think it was only the Queen Elizabeth one. I think that's just funded by the government. Yeah. I had that. So, yeah, if you would have known about all the other ones available, I mean, that might have helped you. But mm-hmm. you, when you were in it, what, what do you think triggered you to, to apply for these scholarships? I needed the money. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, OSAP, uh, they, they lend you the money, but it's not free. No. Uh, essentially, you still have to pay it off. So it would either be through working part-time or through winning scholarships. Okay. So, I figured, hey, why not do both? And and, and you know, it could have been something as simple as you get an email that says, hey, there's scholarships or somebody mentions it to you or you listen to a podcast like this and somebody's talking about scholarships. And that's why I like when we talk about it, because there are private scholarships out there for high school students. There are scholarships for when you're in uh, a certain program when you're of a certain uh, demographic, a certain cultural background even, mm-hmm, right? That's and right. And you may find that you are the only person of that background in your program. And it's almost like free money from some people that I've said who applied, like I was the only person who could qualify for this. Or there are very few people, you know, uh, of my background who applied and I got it. So you just like, I just want everyone to, to remember that, you know, and, and spread the word scholarships. So you yes. got some, you got a couple and that helped. Yes, it definitely helped to, to lessen the burden. Sure. Uh, I mean, going through university, there's just so much to deal with, with exams and group projects. It's a, it's a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. uh, so to have that financial aid definitely uh, help lessen the burden. Okay. So what uh, what did you study? What degree did you get? I went to Ryerson University yeah. uh, through the Ted Rogers School of Management program. Cool. And I studied hospitality and tourism management. What was your goal in that? My goal was 
to graduate and enter into the event planning industry. Nice, nice. Yes. Yeah, because I worked in the events business for a while oh, nice. in live entertainment for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. I work for uh, uh, MLSE as well. You, do you work for them now? <laughs> no, not anymore. No, when did you work for MLSE? Um, during university, one of my uh, part-time jobs was working at the BMO field where nice. TFC plays and also at the Rico Coliseum where the Toronto Marlies play. Amazing. Yeah. So I was uh, I was there from uh, 2005 to 2011 oh, okay. uh, in the live entertainment department. So anything to do with concerts. But mostly I was backstage at the ACC settling concerts oh, cool. there. And that's uh, so that's my experience. I know that uh, uh, events is a tough business mm-hmm. and it takes a, like there's a lot of people are pulling you in different directions all the time. You were, were you looking to put together events for people, like event planning in that respect? Uh, so right after I graduated, and this was during the economic recession of mm-hmm. 08 and 09, I was fortunate enough to land my first uh, real job working as an event manager, planning uh, national conferences within the hotel and tourism industry, okay. so very much corporate conferences yeah. for the CEOs and other high-level executives it would be the conference for the whole entire hotel and tourism oh, industry wow. yeah, okay and, yeah an annual conference we had six different ones like one for restaurants one for tourism sure. a few for hotels and um we would have them major cities across canada well that's that's uh, a lot of work and uh, what was your role specifically in the, in the group uh, to put these uh, conferences together well, just like you said, I had to wear multiple hats. So you were doing all the hats. Okay. I had to uh, handle the registration, yeah. um, look for volunteers through our post-secondary educations and train them for the day of um, the conferences. I also handled with the marketing, with our email campaigns and even flyers and ads to uh, booking our hotel rooms and then the whole conference agenda updating our websites, like wow. everything. <laughs> so, so you got really good at logistics and, and basically pulling an event together. Yes. Yeah. That's, and that's a lot of work, and uh, it can be stressful at times, especially as the event draws near or during mm-hmm. the event. That's when I started pulling in 70, 80 hours wow. uh, easily. And it was just, uh, <laughs> you know, you kind of have to dedicate your life during those, it's, those times. You need to be in your 20s, basically, <laughs> to do this, much. right? Early early 20s, I'm guessing yes. this, was the, this was the case. So, yeah, and I, and I cut you off earlier when you were talking about your early uh, cash jobs. What was another one you were just about to mention, I think? Okay, these didn't last very long, <laughs> of course, because they uh, not sure how legitimate they are when you're under 16. But there was one where we went door to door of sales and we would like literally go in the back of someone's van they would drive us into a rich neighborhood i don't know where this is going release but. us and they're like okay well now you have to sell saran wrap and aluminum foil and garbage bags so. really <laughs> door to door did you say door to door door to door sales like <laughs> it was really sad so that lasted a few shifts and yeah. i barely made any money and then the other odd one was um uh, you know those, okay, not the ice cream trucks, but the ice cream carts? Yeah. And then you've got these people riding on the on bicycle. The bikes, yeah. <laughs> so my friend and I, we would um, go on this bicycle into this random park. Because, of course, like, it's also seniority, right? If you've been around for a while, they'll give you the 
the most the, the good popular yeah, yeah, exactly. parks but we were given one with barely any traffic and again <laughs> we barely sold any popsicles or ice cream that day so, so. i did that for one day <laughs> as well oh, but God. it was the worst day of my life not uh, not because uh, you know, it's funny you think it'd be because this but not because like kids stole my ice cream but because I had uh, the worst sunburn of my life. Oh, no. Uh, you know, you're on the bike. It's, the, it's May. It's like cloudy outside. So you don't think that the sun is shining on you. You know, a, a dumb 20-something, you know, never had a sunburn that bad in my life before. So the tops of my hands just at the end of the day, swollen. Oh, my and gosh. Oh, it was so painful and blisters. And the doctor said I got, like, years of sun in, like, a day. Wow. Like, a regular, <laughs> what somebody <laughs> might get, like, every day with little exposure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I never did that again. <laughs> and I guess y you didn't do much because you weren't selling much. Barely made a few bucks. They so kind of just gave us some money for pity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's nice. That's nice. And you didn't get a bad sunburn, so I, you yeah. should feel lucky about that one. <laughs> But the reason I went back is because I feel like these early jobs, they, you know, they help m prepare you for like this event uh, organization job, right? Because it gives you exposure to all these different things, mm -hmm. right? And I think we need those early jobs, even though they're not paying us a lot of money. Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but it's what it does is it gives us perspective and it, you know, they prepare you for, for taking, I don't know, everybody coming at you or maybe developing a work ethic mm -hmm. like you said, I, 70 I 80 hours yeah that's that's tough though so wh what kind of money are you getting paid for this though well now it's like it, close to what minimum wage is today so yeah. <laughs> it was uh, on the low end of the industry sure um and i mean even hospitality and tourism in general it's probably on the the lower end of pay scales so yeah, that's but unfortunate for, yeah for me i was i was bright and i was hungry and i was driven i was like okay you know just got to get my foot in the door and get this experience yeah and uh i i was there for three years okay wow there were ups and downs of course i mean just high stress and it felt like a 24 7 job but i mean i definitely learned a lot and um, my boss pushed me hard and uh, there were some growing pains but now that i look back on it i'm really grateful because uh, I feel like I can uh, be more competitive than other people in the field and excel. So Yeah, you have that experience. So what are your personal finances looking like at this time? So you have your OSAP debt, some of it which you're able to pay off or head with scholarships and maybe you didn't have to take the full load on, but now you're coming out. Did you get that job right away, like I out of school? Yeah, uh, we pretty much... So you finished school in April, convocated in June, and yeah. then in the summer I was... I was able to work as a research assistant okay. in my uh, in my school's program. Oh, that's so nice. Did, yeah. Yeah, I did that for the summer. And then right in September, I remember in September, I went to my full-time job and then and then nostalgically thinking about how a year ago I was going to class. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that so you're you didn't have like a big gap uh, or any gap, I guess, if you got that summer job mm -hmm. where you had to worry about how am I going to pay? You know, where are you, are you living in Toronto by yourself at this point? Uh, at this point, I was living at home. With okay. My family. So, okay. So you're living at home, so you don't have to worry about rent and stuff, which is nice. Or were uh, were you, were you having to pay rent? Uh, I was fortunate enough I did not have to pay rent. So that's great. And and again, I, uh, public service announcement, you know, if you cannot pay rent, do that. It's the biggest cost, you it know, is. and there are times in our lives when we pay, we have to pay. We're going to have to pay tons of rent, you know, uh, I'm doing it now. And 
if you have this opportunity, you know, because what it does is it gives kids a, you get a head start where you're not having to worry about, oh, I got to take this crappy job so that I can pay my rent. But you did have loans and they were coming due. So it's mm-hmm. good that you got this. So were, were you able to start making a dent in your soon? I paid it off as quickly as possible okay. because I, being the frugal self yeah. that I uh, have been, I did not want to pay any interest on those, those uh, loans. Of course, so okay. I made it my uh, number one goal to pay it off. I think I paid it off before it, like the interest kicked in. So. Really? Mm-hmm. So like within, what, a, a year? I think or? by September. I think they started charging... I think four, four months, six months afterwards. Really? When you, you graduate. So okay. I just paid it off. And plus the scholarships helped to pay down a lot of it. Okay. So, so you're basically having no debt. Mm-hmm. So, and your frugality, do you, did you get that from, from your parents? Is, uh, like, or what do you think? It's just a natural thing? Um, probably a combination of my own personal habits and then seeing how my family handled money. Um, of course, like we... I would say we barely lived above the poverty line. Okay. Um, very conservative. We never went on any family trips, unfortunately. Uh, but my dad, yeah, just made just enough to support our family. But then I believe when I was about 10 years old, my father actually suffered from, I believe, a heart attack. Oh, and then no. he was he was in the hospital for two months, wow. um, had to go through a triple bypass surgery. And then from then on, he had to go on to ODSP, the Ontario Disability Support Program. Okay. So even then, when his, in his maybe mid-50s, he had to stop working. So really, like, my mother was a stay-at-home mom, so we didn't really have too much to go on. So I kind of also had to work in high school just to be able to 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 support myself too yeah yeah that's well that's crazy okay so you're coming from that and if, uh, you know i'm glad osap exists so you could go to school mm-hmm. and then you get this job and you're paying off your student loans right away that's amazing so what about credit cards did they ever get to you did the did the evil corporations uh, find you uh, uh fortunately they did not but Good. i did have a credit card in university sure. Um, I was very responsible with it. I think even back then in university, I mean, working part time, I mean, I believe I kept it as a $500 limit. So wow. I would never go over that. I made sure my dad told me to make sure you pay it off your, your monthly bills. And I was I was good in that way. So so just for convenience. OK, so you're paid off your debt. You don't have any troubles with consumer debt mm-hmm. and you don't have any time to spend money. <laughs> so are you saving money while you're doing this three years of the conference work? I did. I mean, I think I was really smart in the fact that I sat myself down and I took an Excel spreadsheet. Excellent. I didn't know at the time that anyone else was doing it, but I mapped out like, okay, well, from now on for the next 45 years of my life, this is... You did that right then? (laughs) Yeah, I kind of like figured it out. I mean, of course, only within a five-year time frame that'll be the most accurate after that. It's hard to predict. But it's like, okay, well, what do I want to achieve? I'm like, I want to get married. I want to buy a house. I want to have a car. Okay. Um, And then, of course, save for retirement and my future kids, RESP. So I was like, okay, like, how much do I need? How much do I need to save up? And what's my time frame? And this is how much I need to save. And then based on opening up my RSP and my TFSA, I was like, okay, well, this is how much I need to save every paycheck. So I was very diligent wow. probably within my, my first year of starting my, my first full-time job. Who taught you all this stuff? How did you learn? Um, well, so 
a really good classmate and friend of mine, he recommended me to read Rich Dad Poor Dad okay. by Robert Kiyosaki. Not not the first guest to mention Rich Dad Poor Dad. <laughs> it is uh, ubiquitous in this uh, building wealth uh, mm-hmm. concept, right? Please yeah. so continue. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, okay, sure. And I, I picked it up probably from the library and read it. And I was like so fascinated by it. And after that, I was just immediately hooked. Like I felt like I was just entering into this new realm of personal finance and investing. So, so from there, I uh, just decided to learn more about it. Because in school, even though I have a business degree, they yeah. don't teach you about personal finance. They don't. Can you give your, like, uh, just a quick uh, takeaway from Rich Dad, Poor Dad? What was the message that you got from that book? I believe, okay, other than the ESBI quadrant, right? Okay, like go, how, can you go into that? Okay, so the ESBI quadrant, basically, um, he Robert Kiyosaki explains it that you can either be of, you can be an employee yeah. or you can be self-employed. And the other options are being a business owner and an investor, um, and then, the yeah, and essentially, as an employee, you're trading in time for money, yeah. which is linear income or active income. So say if you're working 40 hours a week, yeah, your money is coming in constantly. But then say if you get injured, your money is going to stop. Gotcha. For a self-employed person, say um, an accountant or someone who may have a home-based business or yeah. whatnot, it feels like you are having a f- expensive full-time job because now you have additional responsibilities and again you're relying on yourself yeah to generate that income. but you're probably working more and yeah it's <laughs> you're not it's not <laughs> as efficient as the employee okay so he, that's uh it's kind of worse but maybe you have more potential too put more right? earning potential yeah. yeah okay then if you look at the other side of the quadrant you've got a business owner yeah and a business owner's Let's just say, for example, you could uh, buy a franchise where the business, the system's already there. It's proven. You don't have to start from scratch and um, you can leverage what's already there and uh, leverage the employee's time. Yeah, Hire people to do it for you so that you can own that business, but maybe still do whatever self-employed stuff that you, <laughs> you're you mm-hmm. doing as well. Okay, so that's a better use. And then, of course, investments, investments. are just having money and the money works for you and you don't even have to do anything. Exactly. Really. <laughs> so what what jumped out at you from that? What did you decide you wanted to do from that quadrant? I wanted to be both a, a business owner and an investor. Yeah. 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 And so what what was the next step then? You did three years at, uh, at the conference company. Mm-hmm. And then where did you go next? Afterwards. So after I felt like I had kind of outgrown my position at the conference planning company i i was looking for an just something new and i stayed within the hospitality industry but okay. moved on to purchasing or procurement okay uh, again i work for a small company there was maybe 20 of us and i w- helped to uh I helped on uh, several hotel projects. These would be like five-star boutique hotels okay. um, in London, the UK, and in New York City. So this is uh, under the employee quadrant mm-hmm. uh, still, right? Mm-hmm. Are you starting to think about things on the side then? Two things happened to me uh, during that time in my life. 
when I graduated and had that Excel spreadsheet, yeah. I was like, okay, well, now I need to learn how to invest. And sure. because my parents had already taken me to one of the big banks to have mutual funds, I was like, okay, now that I have additional money saved up from my, from working on my own, I'm like, okay, well, I might as well go to a, a big bank. Yeah. So of course, I <laughs> book an appointment. They're like, and then you do your questionnaire, and they're like, okay, well, based on your profile, you should buy these high risk and high fee mutual funds. Except they didn't say it was high risk or high fees. Okay. They just said they were <laughs> these mutual funds and <laughs> like these ones. oil and gas or something. And I was like, okay, sure, like I trust you. <laughs> and then I just put all my money in there. And now looking back, I I know that they were not diversified, and okay. they were charging me an arm and a leg, yeah. and they had poor results. And so. After maybe half a year or a year later, I was like, oh, my God, like I'm losing thousands of dollars. So you actually were you were, were you actually losing money or were you just like earning less money than you could have, say, somewhere else? So for the first couple of months, it was doing seller results and probably beating the market. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. Okay. And then, of course, it's just started like going down and down <laughs> and down. I'm like getting more and more nervous. And I was like, OK, like this is not what I expected. Yeah. So then I would ha I was having dinner with my, my high school friends. They were talking about ETFs, exchange traded funds. And I was like, what is that? And I was like, started doing my own research. Okay. And that's when I started reading uh, more personal finance and investing books. And I taught myself how to do it. And the motivation was you're invested in this stuff and you didn't quite know what it was, but you knew that it was going down <laughs> and that's not good. I mean, it can be good in some periods of time, right? right? But anyway, that was your motivation to look into other options. Whether yes. it was just the, do you know at this time, like was it just like a market downturn at the time or was it actually poor investments? Poor investments. Yeah, okay. So yeah. it was just bad, like mutual funds that were, were just managed to try to get high gains and they were getting losses instead. Yes. Is that what was happening? Yeah. Okay, so the, yeah, not diversified as you said, right? So you learned about ETFs and that, if you diversified your investments, like maybe even bought several ETFs, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, you might see it go up and down, but not to the extreme that you saw mm -hmm. your mutual fund go down. Yeah. So what did, you, what did you do about that? So I definitely attribute my success and how I got started with the, the Money Sense Guide to create a perfect portfolio. Okay. Yeah. And I think Dan Bordelotti had Yeah. Was it the couch potato uh, yeah. portfolio? Yeah, yeah. the couch potato. So it had a step-by-step -step guide. This is back in 2011. Okay. And it literally showed me all the things that I needed to do in order to go to an online brokerage and set up my own account and buy my own ETFs. That's great. And did, were you were you aware of the fees at this point too or just the fact that your stocks or your mutual funds, sorry, were going down? I didn't know the fees were high until I started reading the books yeah. and they started pointing it out to me. Okay, so now you're putting together your own portfolio mm -hmm. and now fees are in your mind like and well basically the couch potato portfolio would recommend low fee ETFs, right? Mm -hmm. So that more of your money, more of your gains, whatever they may be, they stay in your pocket. Yeah. Because that was the other part that you didn't even know at the time was that not only was it going down, but it might have even been going down because it was eroded by fees. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you found this smarter way to do things and you put together your own was it a self-directed one yeah i open up um with scotia i trade okay um i don't have any affiliation with them no but that <laughs> was your, that was your bank you said no more mutual funds from scotia or if that was the case oh. and i'll go over or did you switch um it was from another bank okay interesting yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay so scotia i trade i think they had a good platform and they probably still do right Mm 
mm. at the time. So yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of different bank platforms. There's like also non-bank ones like Quest Trade. To me, it's about user interface, right? Because mm-hmm. you can buy any products that you want on these, right? And most like I doubt there's any restrictions. You know, <laughs> like it's supposed to be a, a you know open market, right? Mm-hmm. So you. Uh, open an iTrade account mm-hmm. and were you learning about things like commissions and things that you have to pay to trade uh, things like that too? Yes. Yeah. I learned that like I must have read dozens and dozens of personal finance books at that okay, point. And, yeah, but it was like the, the the money sense, the Canadian guide to the perfect portfolio. That's the one that I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. You actually followed it. Yeah. To, like to the letter. Yeah. Okay. So you're working at this hotel company, but on the side, you're just like eating up all this personal finance stuff. Mm-hmm. and really sort of starting your investment uh, um, you know plan and making it making it happen in, in your on your terms yes and not that's right. uh, not what the ads say like <laughs> RSP season right <laughs> just come to our bank and we'll help you mm-hmm. and what so what was the next step in in your uh, either work or uh, investment life of course like when you're creating your own ETF portfolio it can be a bit nerve-wracking but I made sure that I followed each of the steps properly and every time that I received my paycheck from my employer I would set up the automatic transfers to my RSP and my TFSA and I think I even had a non-registered account as well testing the waters and soon afterwards I started gaining traction and I was doing way better than what they were selling me with the mutual funds okay so you saw some actual positive growth and you knew they were you were paying low fees uh, how do we get to uh the money master that you are today yeah so it's interesting because i felt like i was in i don't know like not hibernation but like a secret money nerd spending the past decade just reading about personal finance and whenever i tried to talk to my friends about it it would be really tough because no one really wants to talk about money and <laughs> no it's so does. personal and uh, I would try to educate my friends about it. Um, I even told my friend, I'm like, okay, uh, like make sure you ask the financial rep at the bank about fees. And she's like, okay, well, I asked him all the questions. He said that there's no fees. And I'm like, no, but there are fees. And she's like, and then we got into this wow. argument. And and it's it's really uh, disheartening when people like earnestly believe that they're not being charged fees and the banks just don't make it all that transparent right so and i guess they're in a way they're telling the truth like there's no upfront fees if, if that's the question <laughs> like are they just answering whatever is most convenient for them that sucks that you would give advice like specific advice to your friends and they would still not be able to get the right answers yeah and so it would be conversations like this or even hearing about my coworkers living paycheck to paycheck and yeah. just struggling to even save towards their RSP or TFSA or they still had student loans like 10 years later and I'm like I just didn't make any sense to me and I was like I'm like oh my god like I need to do something yeah but I didn't know how to educate people in a way that they would uh, be comfortable and listen to me it wasn't until well fast forward I've left the hotel uh, and tourism industry and now I work for Bell Canada as a, okay. a content product manager in their TV department so I've been there for 3 years but it wasn't until uh, 2018 my husband Albert was like okay well my new year's resolution is to write a book okay <laughs> I was like okay cool good on you <laughs> I will cheer you on yeah I'm like that's not my ambition <laughs> <laughs> But uh, at that time, like we had been Toastmaster members for several years and we had been 
mastering our public speaking. What was the motivation? Well, why would you, you wanted to be a speaker? Was that the, the goal or just a hobby? For me, it was just to be able to not be nervous speaking in front of an audience, especially during the university days where I had to present a class presentation yeah. or even at work, I had to present in front of senior leadership. So I wanted to feel confident and be professional and taken seriously whenever I had to present on a certain topic. But for several years, I didn't know where I was going to go. It was just kind of yeah. a hobby and I enjoyed it. And then in 2018, in January, we found out about a book writing seminar. Okay. So Albert and I, we had attended. It was a full weekend and they gave us a, a, a workbook and group exercises to do. And it was through that weekend that really opened up our eyes about what a book can do for you and your your career and your business absolutely and then it just made total sense it it just clicked because with a book you can go on uh, radio shows or tv and podcasts like you have yours something to promote yeah yeah exactly and then of course you went right to your passion uh, personal finance yeah i was brainstorming in my mind like if i were to write a book like what message do i want to share with the world yeah and i was just thinking i was like okay well i just love personal finance and uh, and i've been able to have a success with it and a lot of people are struggling they don't know where to start they don't know what to do it's overwhelming and i was like okay well this is what i can do i can write a book and have workshops speak at conferences and teach people and it just made sense to to pair my speaking and and to my personal finance together to to do that that's amazing so what year was this again 2018 2018 so this is last year yes and when did you finish the book it took maybe six months to write it we just finished the editing stage and now it's going so it's it's fully edited the manuscript's done yeah and uh, now it's going on to editing, and then it'll go on to printing. So okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, so when when does the book come out? So this summer should be. Yeah, should be out. amazing. Okay, so you're you basically you're done with the content. Can you talk about some parts or just the overall theme? Like, I mean, we 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 can guess that it's about you communicating your personal finance knowledge through. But where did you uh, where did you go with that? Yeah. So my book, I made it based on three main pillars. So first I talk about personal finance and how to create your own investment portfolio. The second part is talking a bit about real estate investing. And then the last part is starting your own business. Nice. Uh, but the way that the book is structured in the first half of the book, I really lay out the foundations. I talk about your money mindset, developing uh, wealthy habits, um, and making sure that you have the solid foundation, making sure that, you know, if you're in debt, you get out of debt because that's not really the main focus of mine. I no. want to make sure that it's to help people who have saved some money, but they just are, they might be afraid to. They don't know what to do with it. Yeah. They need to take the first step. Yeah. So the first half is really about the foundationals. And then the second half, I really go deep down into how you can invest and give you those different investment strategies so that you can create multiple streams of income. Yes, and uh, in real estate, did I, have you had uh, any success in real estate? Did you guys did you buy that house that you wanted to on your bucket list early on? <laughs> well, my husband and I, we both love real estate investing, and yeah. uh, same with my in-laws. And we currently have a, a condo property around uh, the east end, uh, east of downtown area. Okay. So we manage that together. 
uh, rented out to tenants. And then nice. last year, I purchased a pre-construction condo in downtown Kitchener. Wow. Yeah. And and what, uh, uh, do you know the Kitchener area well? or We made a trip down there before we, yeah. we purchased it. We scoped out the whole entire uh, neighborhood, the downtown core, interviewed people, sure. uh, looked into the trends, um, and then... We learned about the new transit system that they're going to launch, okay. as well as there's many startup companies that are there, right? Such as Google and yeah, the, oh, yeah, it's the Silicon Valley of Ontario, yes. I guess, if you will. Because <laughs> I've heard that if you wanted to buy real estate, but you're in a market like Toronto, for example, where it's almost impossible to get started, you can buy somewhere else. Uh, you know, as long as you do your due diligence, as you did, if you understand the market, uh, you know, at least a little bit, and know that you're going to be able to get a tenant or, you know, you might be able to, that might be a better option for you and, and would involve less down payment. Right? For sure. Yes. I mean, for us, we were able to get a two bedroom condo in downtown Kitchener, whereas in Toronto, you might be able to buy a studio if you're yeah. lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, oh, it's just what a tough uh, market to get into. And so, the, so you have some experience in real estate, and so you're you're talking about uh, that kind of thing, like buy. Well, that's a rich dad, poor dad thing as well, right? Mm -hmm. Buy real estate and uh, create wealth, right? Yeah. Use it to pay for the asset itself, right? Yeah. It's it sounds so simple and uh, like the smartest thing. Why doesn't everyone just have a bunch of real estate? What's the what's the tough part about real estate in your in your mind? I would say. Because okay, I have more experience with the, the stock market and investing there, mm. uh, compared to real estate, I find that maybe where the hesitation comes in is that real estate does require more hands-on work because you do have to deal with tenants and you know all these different rules and regulations and your money will essentially be tied up in a physical property that may not be as liquid as with online trading. Okay, yeah. So yeah. you have to have that risk tolerance. You have to be okay with having something just sort of tied up in one asset for a while that may involve, you know, someone, you know, uh, knocking down a wall by accident and mm -hmm. you got to fix it or the roof, uh, you know, leaks or something happens. You just have to be mentally prepared for that. Then that's probably a, a big roadblock you're saying for a lot of people. Yeah, I think so. Like just being a landlord, dealing with tenants. If you need to repair something, you either have to know the right contractors or do hire property management service. So there is a lot to, to consider before you jump right into to real estate investing. It's an interesting uh, way to look at it. it uh, you know, I like the quadrants from the from the book, but just I just see it as like uh, increasing levels of, of difficulty, you know, and increasing levels of potential gain likely uh but not guaranteed of course mm -hmm. so like you know you buy your etfs or your you know your stocks and your bonds or whatever it is uh, go to a robo advisor right mm -hmm. easy give them money things will happen right you don't really have to do much right? exactly real estate well you got to buy something maybe you got to find the tenants and do the stuff we just talked about maybe fix a couple of things you have to, it's it's a job in yeah. itself a kind of a side side job it's not mm -hmm. full-time but you have to be ready and then the business is, you know, that's a that's a full time job. It could also be a side hustle as well. What's your, what's your business uh, section uh, like in the book? Uh, for me, it's just a, it's a very one hundred and one kind of introductory, just to give people the idea of being a business owner and just some uh, 
uh, basics of what they should consider. How do they start a business or how to find their passion? What kind of industry do they need to be in? Looking at their competition or uh, how are they going to market their business and gain clients and having that team culture. So just uh, little nuggets to give them an idea and, and to inspire them. Uh, especially since the gig economy has been um, trending for the past few years and you've got people who have been very successful with having an Airbnb or being an Uber or Lyft driver or going on to Etsy, people who are artsy and they like to make arts and crafts or sell jewelry. Even simple things like that can, using what they already have, right? Like if they have an extra bedroom in their house, they can rent it out on Airbnb. If they have a car, they can make more money by driving people to places. So. Yeah, I do that, by the way. Oh, nice. Yeah, I just uh, made 60 bucks this morning. Wow. But yeah, <laughs> before anyone woke up, that's the key, right? <laughs> do it before the world wakes up. People don't may- maybe think that those are businesses, right? They're not like, oh, well, I don't want to buy a franchise, as you mentioned earlier, right? I don't I have the capital. Actually, is that in your in your plans to to like own the business that passively makes income like uh, that franchise type yeah, thing? I talk a bit about uh, franchising as well. So yeah. just giving them the different options that they can consider. Is that something that you uh, do or want to do? Uh, I explored having, so this is so funny, seven years ago, I was thinking about starting my own business. I was like, yeah, I want to own a franchise. And I was like, okay, well, which which franchise would I want to own? I'm like, well, I love soft serve ice cream. Or back then they had Menchie's. The I frozen was like, yogurt. Yeah, the fro- yeah. Froyo. Froyo. Froyo yeah. It was like the biggest thing. I'm like, yeah, I want to have my own Froyo. This makes so much sense. <laughs> it's all self serve. Like people do their own things, yep. and it's just it it's easy. And then I applied and I looked into it. Yes, and then you went through the application. I, d- okay. <laughs> I did. And they're like, well, can you get like $400,000 from the right. bank? And right. you need at least $200,000 in your own capital. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a lot of risks. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. <laughs> do, do you think when, when uh, it's mentioned as part of like the way to build wealth, do you think that there's some kind of uh, assumption that you already have capital to use because – it would be so hard for someone like, for example, no one can buy a McDonald's uh, franchise. I think it's probably really hard to do anyway because they're so saturated, but unless you already are really wealthy, Mm -hmm. right? So you're talking about things that people can do without having the capital. Like real estate is one thing you need capital to do, but you don't need as much, right? Mm -hmm. You don't need to actually to have the whole value of the house, which for a franchise you kind of do, do, right? Yeah. And you already have to prove that you're you're viable for them to take a chance on you. Yeah. Uh, is this uh, something that you would still want to do, though? I don't want to turn down opportunities if, or, if, or, if it were to ever come up. Sure. I don't want to say uh, never. Uh, at this point in time, probably not, though. I mean... Uh, if we were to have our own business, we may look into Airbnb. That would that be instead of having tenants like in your uh, rental properties, or like in something that you currently live in, that kind of thing. Uh, we were kind of brainstorming different ideas. Uh, we've just been listening to a couple of podcasts like on Airbnb. So yeah. I don't know. There's certain rules and regulations. It's always changing nowadays. There are. So you can make uh, way more money than a monthly tenant if you Airbnb out every yeah. day, but not everybody is okay with that regulation-wise. Mm-hmm. As you said, maybe there's a municipal bylaw or something that says you can't do this or you can only do it on occasion. Yeah. It can't be the sole purpose of this property, right? Because, yeah. I, mean, I don't know, I guess there's something about people want their neighbors, uh, they want to trust their neighbors. And you know, a monthly tenant, even though they could leave uh, with 60 days notice, 
is still more regular than somebody who's there for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So I can see, yeah, that no, these are the challenges of, of businesses, right? You know, you want to be able to hire somebody to run something, but you need you need money to do that. Would you recommend that people just make sure they know what their goals are? Like, if you know, if you really wanted to uh, that Menchie's uh, franchise, mm-hmm. you could probably just dedicated all of your stuff to that. Maybe you could have got a loan for that mm-hmm. right amount, but then you would have had to have that two hundred thousand dollars in the bank so it just takes a long time yeah maybe there's stuff you can do on the way to to build capital yeah not only the the capital was a bit uh prohibited during that time but also i probably would have had to quit my full-time job in order to run a franchise that's it i wasn't willing to do so i think that for for people i think it's probably gives them it's probably easier for people to carry a full-time job and have something part-time on the side okay Uh, just probably more manageable but for people who are in a position where they may have had a previous business and they've saved up some some capital and then they want to look into franchise, I mean, by all means, uh, there are there are ones that are out there that can can generate you the income that you want and to have the lifestyle that you want. So yeah, and you're doing it the smart way. You you got your full time job still. Yes. Doing it on the side. Do you do you find that you you wish you had more time to work on the personal finance? Oh, thing? I sometimes I wish that there was a clone of me <laughs> <laughs> so I could do double the work. Exactly. <laughs> it's tough though, right? And that's I guess that's why we should start when we're a little bit younger and and when you know when you don't have if you have kids i mean that's a side hustle in itself it's, mm-hmm. a, it's actually that's the full-time job and everything else <laughs> is a side hustle but uh yeah get get started early would you say like if you have an idea i know that uh albert wrote a book i saw it on his linkedin so you guys both have your books right either you know published or about to be published you think people are holding back i would say so i think a lot of people let fear uh stop them from what they they can achieve and what their true potential is mm-hmm. yeah for for us to be able to work with our book publisher it's not cheap to to publish a book and so for us it was an investment but we're thinking about the long term and where we see our careers going and and just to be able to have the opportunity to speak on stage in front of hundreds if not thousands of people and make that impact and make that difference in the world whether it's through teaching people about personal finance and for Albert it's about improving the healthcare system yeah. uh, so we just focus on the the end goal and just jump right in because I feel that with successful people they make the decision first and then they figure it out later that's right and the path will be shown to them Whereas the people who just sit on the sidelines and they just analyze and overthink things, they end up not making a decision. Yeah. If you're just sitting at home waiting for the, all of the perfect things to align, it, it just doesn't happen it that doesn't. way, right? Nothing, nothing ever happens in that way. And yeah, so writing, yeah, writing a book and you just got to get out. If you see a book seminar, right, and hey, maybe I should try this. Be open to different ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And think about what you're passionate about and if you can make a difference in the world in doing that. And you mentioned, uh, did you say some of the proceeds are going to go to to mental health uh, uh, support? Yes, that's right. So with my book, The Money Master, I am so honored and proud to be partnering with CAMH, the Center of Addiction and Mental Health. Amazing. And uh, what I'm going to do is that for every book purchase, I will personally donate $2 towards this charity to help with mental health research and those families who have been impacted. Amazing. And, and that means a lot to me because I spent a lot of time at CAMH uh, going through uh, gambling addiction recovery, gambling counseling, and that's where I figured out I had attention deficit disorder. So I owe basically my 
you know, current uh, successful, happy life to uh, spending a lot of time at Cam H trying to figure it all out. So that that means a lot. Why why would you uh, align with Cam H? I mean, you mentioned your mother's mental health uh, mm-hmm. issues earlier. Yeah, uh, growing up, I um, lived in a somewhat dysfunctional household. Okay. <laughs> we were a very caring and loving family. Yeah. And but I remember watching a cartoon show one day and uh, it, it, the morning cartoons and it said something about like schizophrenia. And then my sister was like did you know your mother has schizophrenia? And I was in grade three at the time. So I must've been eight years old. I'm like, I had no idea what my sister was trying to tell me, but she was trying to explain in the way that, you know, your, your mom has some mental health issues. This is why she's not able to have a full-time job and she's a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. And as I grew older and older, I started to see the, the signs and the, the behaviors of, of my mom going through depression and even being bipolar and having okay. to, to see the doctor or all of a sudden she would be hospitalized. Wow. Um, and you know, I'd, I'd have to go visit her. And so she would exhibit all these strange behaviors, but then I had to stay, take a step back and, and understand that it's the, the mental health aspect that's controlling her thoughts and emotions and the things that she's saying, so um, it, it was a it was tough and challenging, of course, for a family, especially because uh, in in our society, unfortunately, like when you look at someone who may be diagnosed with cancer, you can see the visible signs on their body. That's right. But with mental health, it may not be as apparent. And within our Chinese community, it was very taboo to ever talk about. It. And so it was just like this hidden secret and uh we even lost touch with our relatives i didn't know who they were for decades like honestly i haven't really met some of my relatives until uh several years ago they're all like um unknown to me so um it it just yeah put a strain on our family and then our relatives so i feel that it's important that we open up about mental health and have these conversations because when I did a fundraiser for CAMH a couple of years ago with a couple of my friends, I opened up about my story and I had friends emailing me and thanking me for sharing my story and Absolutely. friends who I have been close with for years or decades. I didn't know that they were going through their own personal experiences. Even when my mother passed away in my early 20s, it was it was really hard for me. And I had to go seek um, counseling, a social worker, mm. which I also highly recommend for people who are grieving and going going through those stages. Um it's important to talk about it and to process those feelings and, you know, extend an open arm and to, to create those conversations uh, because you never know when someone who really needs your support. Well, that's amazing. And I hope that you, you know, it, while you're going out to talk about the book, that you have the opportunity to talk about this as part of your public speaking uh, engagements. I'm definitely making it a mission to, to bring more awareness about it as I continue with uh, future upcoming events and um, just to be able to make people feel comfortable talking about both money and mental health since they have such a great impact on our daily lives. Absolutely. You, you and I align on that very much because I, uh, what I would love to do is talk about personal finance and uh, addiction and uh, mental health uh, issues like attention deficit that I have. I, you know, I can talk about what I've been through. You can talk about what you've been through. It's hard for us to know what others have, have, have been through, but we can talk about our stories, mm-hmm. right? And bring awareness. 
and that's key. Yeah, we should definitely let's uh, do something for Bell Let's Talk Day. Yeah, that's a definitely a, let's uh, talk about collaborating for on sure that because. I think we need to combine uh, mental wellness awareness along with financial wellness mm-hmm. and then physical wellness. It all goes t- together, right? Mm-hmm. And y- you can't separate one from the other. You, you try and if you don't have financial wellness, usually the food uh, uh, wellness goes out the window uh, as well because you can't afford or you're not really focusing on buying the best stuff for you. It's just like if you're not taking care of one part of you, the other parts suffer just like a a ripple effect it really is a ripple effect that's a great way to put it so the book uh, it's coming out and how will people be able to buy it or do you have a website yeah so with my book it will be released this summer and they can go to my website which is sandyyong.com which is spelled S-A-N-D-Y-Y-O-N-G.com. I'm glad you mentioned that because I just had Sandy Martin on the show with an I, so oh. it's good. Two, I didn't <laughs> want to put you guys back to back, so someone <laughs> will be in the middle. But okay. two Sandys within three weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, S-A-N-D-Y. Y-O-N-G. Yes. Right? Perfect. Dot com. Dot com. And you can sign up for the newsletter. And once the book is published, uh, it will be available online on Amazon. And I'll also have physical printed copies whenever I go for speaking engagements. And uh, again, $2 will be donated to Cam H. Perfect. And uh, so, yeah, so that's the best place to find out about you. We'll just leave it at that. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it's good to talk about having a passion and and pursuing that passion and also having a really good cause like uh, mental health and just really I liked what you're doing for uh, financial uh, wellness awareness to to see everybody's basically suffering like you said you have this secret it seems like a secret right you mm-hmm. know spend less than you make uh, invest in balanced things it's it's not on the surface, it's not difficult, but it, it is because everybody's bombarded with so much uh, information, but mm-hmm. also misinformation. Mm-hmm. And so it's good to have as many clarifying things as we can. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for writing the book. Thanks for coming on the show. Great. Thank you so much, Bo, for having me. And that was episode 84 with Sandy Young. If you like the podcast and want to see me get to episode 100 and beyond, please support the podcast by going to my Patreon site and becoming a patron. It's only a few bucks a week, but if enough people do it, it starts to add up. Head over to patreon.com slash bowhumphreys if you're interested. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Now, this is a part of the show where I talk about some of the things I do other than this weekly podcast. I am a personal finance coach. So if you're looking for someone to help you get organized and simplify your financial life, Head over to bowhumphreys.com, click on the banner, and book a free 15-minute personal finance consultation with me. We'll chat about your situation, and you can decide if booking an hourly coaching session is something that'll help you get moving in the right direction. What I find is that a lot of people are right on the edge of doing something to improve their finances, and the ironic solution to making progress financially is to spend some money on a monthly coaching session. I am a co-host and the technical producer of a new podcast called Dear Ruby with my friend and personal finance expert, Rubina ahmed Hawk. Head over to DearRuby.com, that's D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com, to check out the first three episodes and let us know what you think by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We're always looking for interesting personal finance stories and issues to be discussed. So if you want to be featured... Please record some audio and click on the big red upload button on the website. 
I have a personal finance webinar coming up next week on Wednesday, June 5th, 2019 at 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Michelle Hung, the sassy investor from episode 70 of the podcast, will be joining me for a webinar we're calling Lunchtime with Bo and Michelle. If you've ever wanted to ask me or Michelle a question about pretty much anything, this is your opportunity. To register for the webinar, click the link in the show notes or head over to bohumphreys.com slash webinar. That's it for this episode. I'll be back next week with Shanna Bell, author of the new book, The Art of Being a PETA.